Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Art Aldridge, and this week in production, it's Iditarod time again. About nine months ago, as I was wrapping up the Iditarod, the COVID-19 crisis was exploding. We left the Iditarod production a few days earlier than we had anticipated just because we were concerned about getting out of Alaska. Here we are now, nine months later. I'm now trying to figure out how I'm going to produce this year's live streaming for the Iditarod. And not much has changed. There's not much improvement on anything um, in terms of on-site, in-person production. And this was a question that was, you know, put to me. I mean, not just by Iditarod. I mean, I asked myself, and I also had conversations with my family about you know, am I going back to Alaska to produce this race in person? This is a very difficult question to ask and to answer. There are no easy answers. And I know the expectations from my client, the Iditarod, are that I would be on site. I mean, the Iditarod is not a big organization. The Iditarod doesn't have go-to people just standing by on staff. They rely on outside people like myself, like Greg Heister, and a handful of other people who have been involved in the race for a long time. This will be my, I think, 14th, 13th, or 14th year. It's a difficult question to answer whether I can do my job remotely. On one hand... The, I, I have the technology to do it. I've invested in equipment. I've talked about it in the past from Intenor that lets that will let me run a control room from anywhere, get my IP streams in from the trail, and not have to physically be in state. I mean, I could have done this last year. These features really aren't new for me this year, and in reality, I could have produced the race for many years off-site. But again, there's a comfort level, there's a convenience to having me be in-state at the show headquarters. The race headquarters and the staging area for the Iditarod has always been the Millennium Lakefront Hotel in Anchorage. And it's near the airport. It's a Millennium Hotel, but don't get your hopes up. It is not a five-star, four-star. I might not even say it's a three-star hotel at this point. It's a big hotel. And they're a race sponsor. So, you know, the Iditarod works with them. And that's where they house the crew, the staff, the, the volunteers, the veterinarians. These people all come through the lakefront before they go out on the trail. And for me, I stay usually at the lakefront for an extended period of time before I go to the finish of the race in Nome. And this year, with the COVID, it's all, really, it's all thrown out the window. The race isn't even going to Nome. They've had to modify the race. They've had to modify the checkpoints so that they don't go through native villages for the fear of spreading the virus. 
So in trying to make a decision as to whether I would want to go to Alaska or not to produce this race, there's obviously many, many factors. I have to weigh the situation at my home first and foremost. I have to accept the possibility that if I do not go on site, that they may not want me to be involved and work the race. So I have to make that decision financially. Is it viable that I say, no, I'm not going and I'm willing to give up the work? And that's not that's not an easy, quick decision given the environment these days as well. And then there's the logistics of whether it's easier to produce the event off-site. In the past, I've basically run the live streams myself for the 24-7, 14 days or so that the race runs. These are not all babysat sessions. I don't sit in front of the computer for obviously 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the two weeks or so that the race goes. But there are many times where there are recordings happening. I have to get up in the middle of the night to do a record hit or I have to, you know, reset a camera, or I have to handle some technical issue. So it's not an ideal situation in terms of, um, you know, getting a solid night's sleep or having any kind of regular schedule. And anyone who knows me knows that I get very cranky when I get tired, and I do have a, I, I like routine, I like schedule, and the Iditarod is not that. So the thought of potentially doing this event not in state was interesting to me because I think there are some benefits to having that four-hour time zone offset. Last year, we had a Norwegian sponsor involved in the race. And of course, they're on a nine-hour differential. So there were issues in sending them live feeds, which were the middle of the night for Alaska, you know, it it just was a very difficult job last year. And, you know, in figuring out whether I could do it remotely this year, I had to weigh all of these considerations. And then I had to present a case to the Iditarod to see if this was something that would be acceptable to them. And that was not going to be an easy conversation. I should back up and tell you a story about how I actually got started with the Iditarod going back some 13 or 14 years now. I was basically there as a consultant for Panasonic, and I saw that they were having some issues. I was there basically to help with P2, the cameras from Panasonic that they were using for the first time, the workflow, and getting the P2 clips up to their website. That was my job. But in in being there and being around this very small I did a rod staff, just some of the nicest genuine people that you can ever meet. And I saw that they were having problems with their website team, which was again, not staff, outsourced, but it was a company based in Alaska, but they weren't even in the race headquarters like everyone else was. They were actually in Hawaii, if you can believe this, because the the uh, communications person tried to reach out to the development team and they were in Hawaii on a vacation at the start of the race. And I, I said to uh, my contact there, I said, that seems very odd that they've deployed 
a website for you, and it's all heavily content management based. And in your biggest hour, they're not available for tech support. And so that was why having the team on site became an important thing. I introduced a colleague to the Iditarod who could help sort of take the website up to the next level. And again, one of the factors was that they were willing to come up to Alaska during the race, during the week before, week during, two weeks there, and then after, and be there for support. And Iditarod really relied on having that team in the building. And it was great. I mean, you know, when I get together with other colleagues and we're in a room and we're basically, you know, embedded for a duration of time, there's a synergy and a creative flow that happens that I can't really explain any other way. It it things bubble to the top, ideas come through, and you can hash them out. And we've actually deployed some great features for the Iditarod while we're there, just kicking ideas around because we're in the same room. There might be some tequila involved. I'm not really sure. I, I don't remember, but likely. This idea of the team not being on site in state this year was scary. It still is scary. It is still not decided. But I had to present a case to the Iditarod for me not being there. And and the reasons for me not being there are COVID and family and and just some logistics and things that what would happen if. So my comfort level was not being in state. My comfort level was being here with my family and and doing I think a better job from my home control room than I could from there. Because when I go there and I do the job, I have to bring everything, everything I own, computers, adapters, cables. And it it is not like being in the lower 48 where if you need something, you can go to a store and get it or have it overnighted or sometimes same day. It's not like that in Alaska. You know, if I have to get something from B&H or Amazon, it might be four days or more, even in a rush scenario. So I think having the control room here, having more tools at my disposal is a benefit. Not to mention that I had to run the show on laptops and occasionally a Mac mini just because that was what I could travel with. Now I could put my whole complement of machines, my Mac Pro, all the Mac minis, all the laptops I have. I'm not restricted in terms of what computers or hardware I want to use by what can be traveled. So I needed to propose this idea to the powers that be at the Iditarod. And again, it wasn't an easy conversation. I mean, without doubt, there's hesitancy from their side to accept this. But they understand the value that I'm bringing, and they understand that I'm not taking the decision not to go lightly. It's not, oh, I don't want to be there, and that's it. There are definitely personal and and health reasons not to go. So I've presented my case to them. We think that we have a workable plan. The idea would be that I would have two control rooms. I would have someone 
in state with some of my gear to be the local hands-on person, the production manager. That would be Mr. Tom Chartrand. He's he's planning to be in Alaska and be my hands on the ground. He's okay with the travel. We've talked about it pretty extensively. I might have him on on a future podcast to talk about our plans. But the idea would be that he would take one of my media servers from Intenor and be in Alaska. And he would run uh, a certain 12-hour shift that would cover the, you know, the prime time in Alaska. I would handle probably the late night Alaska shift, which is like 6 a.m. in the east through 6 p.m. And, and he would take the, uh, the other 12 hours and we'd basically run it like a, a split shift. And I think this is a viable plan. We're going to use a combination of the Intenor backpacks with uh, big uh, ENG cameras, also some smaller handheld cameras like the P2 CX350, maybe a 270. There'll be a, probably a, a couple of GoPros. I might even throw some PTZs back in the mix. You know, last year I flew a whole fly pack control room up there with robotics and we tried to use the robotics over uh, fiber. And for the most part, they worked. We had some problems with some of the software and some of the network pieces. And the other problem with the robotics on, on a live event that's not really able to be blocked perfectly is that your camera positions don't always wind up being the right camera positions. We would set cameras where we knew we'd have angles to the starting line and to the, um, the talent and maybe down the, um, the starting line a bit. And then people stand in the way, things get moved, the dogs don't line up in the right place. So having fixed cameras on um, those type of robotics on stands that can't really easily be moved is not ideal. I want to get away from that a little bit. I may use a PTZ on the talent where we know we have, we have some control of the blocking and the positioning and maybe like a cover, a wide cover shot on a robotic. And then I really want to put human operators on the others. And so the plan that I've put forward is to use the Intenor backpacks that I have. They can use cellular where it's available, but they can also bond over multiple network connections. I can take, uh, for example, four DSL modems, and I can basically combine the bandwidth, aggregate the bandwidth, and bond over those four and get a higher quality stream than over a single device. That's one of the things I like about the Intenor. They're very, very flexible in their uh, use. I can configure them to do multiple things. So I'm very excited about putting that plan in place. We still have to work out some details. It is gonna be a mad dash. We're basically six weeks out from the start of the race. So there's many, many things that are gonna need to be figured out. We're talking about adding additional live programming for the week leading up to the race. I mean, just the nature of 
the COVID and the fact that you can't have the public at any of these public traditional public events is going to change some of the way we cover the event. They're changing the starting area for the race. It's not going to start in the traditional spot, so it makes it a little more challenging. There's no infrastructure. They have to bring in motorhomes or trailers. It becomes logistically a nightmare, let's just say it. So there's many, many details to figure out. This will be all consuming of my time and resources really for the next two months. Uh, You'll probably get tired of hearing about it, but it is what is happening this week in production. So aside from the Iditarod, there are a couple of other things that I would throw out to you guys. There are a couple of other things that I would mention to you that are new in this week in production. For one, I'm recording the podcast, this episode and the episode last week with Lulita from Orlando, on a new device. It is the Zoom PodTrack P4. It is basically a small four-channel recorder, very small. I mean, it's like a little bit bigger than my hand, but in comparison to my Rode, my Rodecaster Pro, which is, you know, almost like a full-size mixer. This thing is like the size of a big, you know, cell phone or maybe a little smaller than an iPad mini. Way easier to travel with. I, I mean, I have a Pelican case and everything for the Rodecaster, but sometimes when you're on these, you know, minimal crew things, throwing those extra uh, cases into the mix is complicated. Just moving it around logistically, it's a pain in the neck. So this little uh, Zoom recorder with a couple of microphones will fit into a very small bag that I can put into my carry-on. I've heard of maybe a slight difference in sound quality. You tell me what you guys think, but it is a nice little recorder. The interface isn't as fancy as the Rode. It uses full-size SD cards, which I like. It can take a phone tap in for a remote caller, and it says it has four inputs for mics on XLR. It's it's a nice little package. It runs on batteries. I don't even need to bring an AC adapter. It can be a USB powered, and it's just a very small compact kit. I'm probably going to use it sometimes when I don't want to have big uh, case for the podcast gear. So you tell me if you hear a difference in sound quality. It's I hear a little bit of a difference, but I don't know if it's enough to come across on the podcast or not. Another new piece of kit in my office is for my M1 Mac Mini. It's made by OWC, and it's the Thunderbolt Hub. And it's a little different than all of the other docks that I've had that use Thunderbolt 2 or 3. Those docks only allow for a pass-through Thunderbolt port. So you have one Thunderbolt as the host, and then you have one other Thunderbolt port that you can use to connect the device. And that is probably some limitation in the way that the chipset uh, is implemented. But on the new M1 uh, Silicon Max, you can use uh, USB 4, which is also being called Thunderbolt 4, though I don't think it's technically accurate, but the USB 4 hub from OWC will actually let you have 
the host port, and then three additional Thunderbolt 3 or USB 4 ports. So it's an actual expansion box. It also has a USB 3.2 on it. It can drive up to two additional 4K monitors or one 6K display. So you can run this on an Apple 6K off the expansion box and it's nice. It's uh, it's very small. It has a little uh, lit up portion of the top with the OWC logo and a bottom light. And I'm using it to connect multiple uh, devices to the M1 Mac Mini. I'll talk a little bit more after I get some time with it. But I had to pre-order it and it took about uh, a month and a half to get into my hands. There is one more piece of gear that came in this week that I don't really have a use for yet. As you know, I do a lot of Zoom recordings. Zoom has become the new uh, ENG platform for corporate work. And the quality is just awful, 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 awful. Some of it has to do with the fact that Zoom limits the resolution to 720p. They're, they used to be 1080 before the COVID, and then COVID hit, and they had to reduce the, the bandwidth to, I guess, make the systems work, because everyone is using Zoom, of course, and the best you can get now is a 720p uh, meeting. You can go into like the enterprise-level subscriptions, and then you can request a 1080p um, access, but it's not guaranteed that you'll get it. And I'm not at that level of subscription yet for my work. So I was on the Final Cut uh, Summit, virtual summit thing uh, a month or two ago, talked about it on a previous episode. And in one of the uh, post, you know, event uh, chat rooms, I heard someone talking about using the Facebook portal hardware to enable 1080p Zoom meetings. And I thought that was interesting. I kind of filed it in the back of my head, didn't think too much about it. And then I started to research the portal platform. And it's it's a hardware, I think most of it runs on an Android tablet, but there is one portal product called the Portal TV that is a camera and it has an HDMI output. And I thought, oh, that must be what they're referring to. And then you can put the Zoom app on the Portal TV, start a meeting, it'll put you into the 1080p universe for Zoom. And I thought, oh, that would be great. That would really improve the quality. So I thought about getting one around the end of the year and I saw they were sold out, couldn't get them. Uh, I recently popped on to bestbuy.com and I saw they, they were in stock. So I ordered one and it came in and I hooked it up, went through the steps. The um, looks good in the sense that it's uh, pretty simple and HDMI out will feed into my capture card. The problem is <laughs> the Zoom app for Portal TV doesn't exist yet. I mean, it must exist. And I'm sure people who have been using it uh, have been talking about it, but it's like beta. And I don't know how to get in the beta. So if you know how to get into the Zoom beta for Portal TV, please let me know. Right now, you can't 
use the Portal TV with the Zoom app to do uh, zooming. So I can't get it to work yet. I'm gonna stick with it. I'm not gonna return it. I'm gonna keep it. They say soon. I've heard, you know, by the end of 2020, and of course now it's 2021, so I'm hoping it's soon. But the idea would be that I would enable 1080p recording and I would engage the Zoom meeting through this uh, Portal TV hardware and then record the output into my Mac via a capture card, probably a AJA UTAP uh, HDMI card. So I'm hopeful that it'll work. Haven't uh, been able to try it yet, but um, I'll let you know when that becomes a reality for me. So that's what's happening this week in production. I'm your host, Art Aldridge. Stay well and stay happy. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening.